Welcome to the great conversation where ideas matter. Ideas shape markets. Ideas can change the world. I pursued a great conversation with Dr. Rob McKenna, the founder and CEO of Wild Leaders, uh, a few weeks ago. It is captured on YouTube as a webinar, but I also wanted to send it to our community, the Great Conversation podcast, for all of you to listen to at your convenience. Uh, Dr. McKenna is one of the top industrial organizational psychologists in the country. Uh, he is the founder and CEO of Wild Leaders, uh, and he's the author of several books, including Dying to Lead and Compose, The Heart and Science of Leading Under Pressure. He's currently working on another manuscript as well, and it will be one of the featured discussions of the next hour as we pursue this idea of leadership as a manifesto, an inflection point, if you will, on what it means to be a leader and the agency all of us have to pursue intentionally a whole journey toward leadership in our own lives and the lives of our family, friends, and the organizations we work with and for. Uh, I hope you all have a great conversation. Welcome to the Manifesto, a declaration of whole leadership. I'm Savage Kapahu, and I am honored to be in this space today in this live broadcast with Ron Warman and Rob, Dr. Rob McKenna. Ron is the CEO of the Sage Group, a strategy and consulting firm, and the facilitator of The Great Conversation, a community of leaders worldwide. Dr. Rob McKenna is our CEO and founder of Wild Leaders. It is so great to be together live broadcasting today. Before we get started, Dr. Rob and Ron and I are going to play a game of wild cards. If you're new to the Wild Leaders space, we have this deck of cards and I'm going to pull a card randomly. This has not been rehearsed and we are going to go deep quick with the, our answers to the questions. Also, during this live broadcast, uh, my teammate Megan and I will be here in the back end. So if you guys have questions along the way, we're going to do our best to get to them. So put your comments and your questions in the chat. And as we go through our live broadcast, we will um, do our best to get to as many of them as we can. Okay, so Ron, you're up first. Here is your question from the Wild Deck. Are you open to editing yourself for the sake of others, even if it might hurt a little? She's got it on the screen. All right. Are you open to editing yourself for the sake of others, even if it might hurt a little? Wow. Well, well, first of all, some backdrop. I have three daughters, so I'm constantly editing myself. <laughs> uh, so, yes, I, I'm willing to do that. Uh, we'll... Is it difficult and painful at times? Absolutely. But great question. Absolutely. 
100%. Okay, <laughs> I am next and I have not, okay, I'll just pick a card, any card from our wild deck. And it says, ooh, would you rather be happy or whole? <laughs> That's a great question. Gosh, did I have to get this one? Yeah. Um, this is a good question. And of course, I'm going to say whole. And that is going to lead to happiness, right? Even if it doesn't feel awesome in every single moment. So I'm going to go with whole. Sounds like That's a paradox to me. <laughs> going with whole. Okay. I'm going with whole. Okay. Right. Dr. McKenna, it's your turn. All right. What do others with whom you work need from you? that you feel underqualified to provide. Oh my gosh. Really? Sorry. You, read it again. What do okay. others with whom you work? Please. What do others with whom you work need from you that you feel underqualified to provide? Do I be honest? Please be careful. This could torpedo the whole broadcast. <laughs> really good. It really no good. No yeah, I was thinking what Sabbath needs for me right now is to answer this question well. Like, <laughs> answer the question. Yeah, I think um I think sometimes I think the honest answer is boldness. Mm. I remember um, you know, Megan on our team telling me this uh probably a year ago. She said, I need you to be bold. And I think the underqualified sometimes, sometimes, you know, I, if I'm honest, sometimes I feel underqualified with a level of boldness. I don't feel, I don't feel underqualified to be bold, but I think there's a, sometimes you have a little bit of a governor on that. And so, and I think that's probably a healthy thing. Anyway, there's a lot in that. Boldness. I <laughs> Thanks a lot, that. Sabbath. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I am going to leave you guys to have a great and wild conversation. Enjoy. Thank you so much, Sabbath. You know, um, I am quite frankly a word guy. So the first thing I did when I looked at the title of this broadcast manifesto is I had to look it up, even though I knew what it was. And then I had to Google the greatest manifestos. Hmm. What manifestos are out there in the public domain? One of the first ones I came up with, I don't know if those of you have lived long enough to, um, uh, know that Steve Jobs, you know, when he first came out with the broadcast with Apple and he said, here's to the crazy ones. And he had all these people throughout history who had done the impossible, who were heavily criticized mm -hmm. at times, mm -hmm. but they changed our world. Right. right. So that was a crazy one. Mm -hmm. How about the moonshot Kennedy's speech to all of us when he said, we're going to go to the moon. And not only that, we're going to bring them back. Or how about Martin Luther King? with 250,000 people on the mall in Washington, D.C., mm -hmm. saying, I have a dream, and basically inviting us in to his dream. Mm -hmm. Dream big, right? Mm -hmm. And finally, just because I just got done with the book 1776, the Declaration of Independence, mm -hmm. right? The great experiment of all time. Can a people, common people, govern themselves? without a king, without a dictator, can they govern themselves? And, you know, it was so interesting. I end with that one mm -hmm. because it says we believe in the leadership capacity of our people. Mm -hmm. That is leadership belongs to everyone. So this manifesto, this declaration, Rob, really intrigues me. Mm. There is an urgency in this moment. If we look around, there's an urgency in this moment. 
people are living lives of quiet desperation. They go to their job, they check it off. It's urgent. It's now. Tell me about the manifesto. Hmm. It's, it's a, first of all, it's a funny word, a great word. I shouldn't say funny. It's a, um, I have hesitated to use that word to describe some of the things that we're doing. Um, sometimes because I'm, I'm worried that it misses people. Um, but I think that from, for me, this manifesto around whole leader development does, it feels like that for me. And I remember when we talked the other day and we did, we were the other day being when we first started planning, doing this, having this conversation live, I mentioned that to you. Um, and even some of my most recent writing and that it was my manifesto. And then of course, in your Ron Warman way, took that and you said something to me, um, I guess you gave me boldness back to that original question because you said uh, a manifesto is a call to arms. And I've always described the work that we're doing in um, supporting and encouraging and hoping to inspire people who are working toward wholeness in their leadership and in their own journeys. Um, it has always felt, frankly, like a battle. Um, and it's, uh, it's felt like a fight that's worth fighting. And so when you called it a call to arms, um, because there's, there's a, there's a counter narrative, I think going on that, that sometimes we're fighting against. And I don't mean a narrative necessarily culturally, but I, I mean, inside of people, um, regarding this whole question of wholeness. And so the manifesto for me, um, that, you know, has come from, I mean, you know, how things are shaped in you are that are from lots of different places. And certainly from my childhood, from the research I've been able to be a part of, from the kinds of mentors I've had and, and being able to walk along so many leaders at this point in my life. Um, I just want, the thing that frustrates me is how much we talk about the deep needs in our world and, and, uh, and how much we talk about when we do speak about leaders. So often we complain about them, but the reality that I can't escape is that, every major movement of change in our world, as far as I can tell, begins, I don't know about the ends part, but it begins with a leader and someone, a, a human being who was willing to step out and, and do something transformational in the world. And we spend so much time talking about the needs that those people led, but not the reality that it took a person with the, a tremendous amount of fortitude to actually step forward and to do something. When you even mentioned those names, I'm just imagining um, what Dr. King was facing to even to even lay out that manifesto. There was over multiple speeches and sermons and all the things that he did, and he paid he paid the highest price for that as well. And so, for me, I just I care so. I think in some ways it's funny the title of this because you know that I struggle with this is that I've said oftentimes that I don't care that much about leadership care a lot about leaders. Um, I care a lot about uh, building people up who would have the capacity to bring the greatest amount of courage and sacrifice and wisdom and resourcing and discernment to these biggest challenges of our day. And so the manifesto for me would be to say, 
what does it mean to develop a whole person for that moment? Um, as opposed to sort of a piecemeal approach, what would it mean? Because when we're talking about human beings and leadership, we're talking about whole people. And when I say whole, I mean their brokenness and their beauty, their possibilities and their redemption, and also the places where they have really screwed it up. Um, what does it mean for us to, because that's every human. Uh, what does it mean for us to inspire that? We've got a blank can canvas today. We've got a blank canvas. Okay. And I want to, yeah. I want to paint a picture. There's an urgency. I think you would agree to it. Our world is broken in so many ways right now. It always has been, but there seems to be a, a particular urgency and it has a lot to do with people taking ownership of their own wholeness. And then you've associated the word wholeness with leadership. Mm -hmm. There's a reason you put those two terms together. Tell me what that reason is. Why wholeness, which is probably a journey in itself with leadership. What do those two things belong, belong to the common employee as well as the leaders who lead them? I think that that's a great question. The thing that links those two things together, wholeness and leadership, I don't know, this is my best answer, Ron, is the word human. Mm. Because uh, in the first line of my next book is, <laughs> if leaders were robots, it'd be a lot easier. And they're not. And so the reason why I connect, I love the way you asked that, wholeness to leadership, and why is that what comes to mind is that when we're talking about a person in a leadership role, we're, we're talking about a human, we're talking about a person. And when you look at the research on leader development, which is basically, I'm throwing that word out there, research to say, what is this? what do we know about the story? What responsible kind of literature do we have out there about the story of what it means to lead, to develop, to lead well, and to be able to step into that moment. And uh, what we know is that there are there are not just three things. There, I had a an, um, recently um, a good friend of mine was was teaching a class, and it was a bunch of undergraduates, and, and she had used some of our processes, our whole leader development processes. And this this undergrad had, I think she was a sophomore, and she said that she said uh, the professor asked, and I got to just be a witness to this with the class. It was a virtual thing, and 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 the professor asked, she said, what what have you learned? as a part of, as this introduction to whole leader development. What it, and she said this, she said, before this, I thought leadership was about three things. Now I know it's about 150 things. And, and so then it causes, if it's 150 things and then whatever that number is, what are those things? And wholeness is like, is all of it. You know, so what does it mean to take in all the things that you and I both have experienced and say, what does that mean for my development? And to not dismiss away pieces of it because I don't want to go there or I just don't have time to go there or because I feel ashamed to go there or I've been told I shouldn't go there. What does it mean to, to, to move into our aspirations for a whole perspective on our development? And so that's why I put human between those two words. I think that's outstanding. I love it. So if I take a canvas now, I'm going to go back to the canvas and I ask a wild question from your deck. Yeah. I doubt it. I, it may be in the deck, <laughs> but what would no. change for humans and what would change as a result for the world if we had the ability to take ownership of that wholeness journey 
and deploy it in our lives at a personal and professional level? What would change in the world and to us individually? It's funny. There's a, um, I hope it's okay if I cite a little bit of research. I just, um, to your question, because my brain goes there. Because we, we, we did an impact study on what happens when a person becomes uh, intentional with an intentional scaffolding of questions that get at some of the most important developmental aspects of a leader's life. And we did an impact study to see what changes. And so when you ask that question of what, what would change, I, I start with the individual. And what we found was that there were certain things that had a meaningful change, uh, statistically speaking, in a person's life. And these things were like increased conviction, increased hope, increased agility. Um, it's a long list of like 25 different things that change in the psychology of a person. And what's funny is this, I've shown that list of, of that study of those things that that shift in a person to organizations. And again, these are things that change in an individual leader's life, as opposed to putting a process of, of intentional questioning, of moving to, into the questions that are, that are important. And what's fascinating, Ron, is this. I'll never forget, we were working with a company that makes rocket ships. And we showed that list of words. These are individual level shifts in a person. That we, and we said, what would change if every person in your organization were experiencing these things in increasing measure? And they said, this was the funniest thing. We didn't talk about this, about technology or any of that stuff. They said, we would put a, 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 a manned rocket ship in space two months ahead of schedule. And I, was, I, I, I looked at Dr. Daniel Halleck that you know also. I looked at Daniel, I go, we didn't, weren't talking about building rockets. How is it that someone translated the shift in an individual leader to that level of performance? And over and over again, when we've asked people, what would change if this, if every individual were experiencing this kind of shift, they talk about, and I'm not saying it's all for the, for the sake of acceleration. I don't mean that, but people talk about our workplace would be an entirely different place because of people's ability. We would have better tough conversations every day that we've, that we hold back. Um, people would speak more directly to one another. Um, but, but it, all these things that are psychological and even sociological that then that when you shift those in an individual that shift not only performance, but people's perceptions of themselves. Um, man, that's a maybe <laughs> a big answer to your question. No, that's where it's, it yeah. is a, a beautiful answer. Again, we're trying to paint a picture because when it comes to, it seems to me what I just heard is what I want to achieve for my family for my community, for my workplace, my world starts with me mm -hmm. and my ability, like the question Sabbath just asked me, my ability to want to grow, mm -hmm. to transform, to adapt, to edit, mm. where I can be a better person. And if I do that, the rocket scientists are saying, guess what? It'll translate into human performance. That, that is not a profit principle because if you work backwards and say, I want, I want to get the, the rocket on time in two months or on time, and I want this program to make, help us do that better. Probably wrong approach. Yeah. You've got to want 
to care for your people enough to help them on that journey. And it comes back in spades. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, it's and so we may call that human performance or corporate performance or family performance, but it comes back in spades. Yeah. And it's, it's funny when you ask it too, because I, I'm, I hold back a little bit on promising those performance outcomes because I don't know if that's the point. You know what I mean? I think they matter. Like I know that someone I saw who's I think listening in on a live broadcast is, is a, a newer friend of mine, Matt Hangen, who's here and uh, who's, who's working very hard to put clean water in people's hands all over the globe. And I, what I, what I say to Matt, like um, if you do this, it's going to put more water out there. Maybe, you know, um, probably certainly, but I think he also is and just getting to know him knows that maybe that's, that's, that's the main goal of the organization, but it may not be the, the whole point of whole leader development. Do you know what I'm saying? Like holding that again, you don't start with the end in mind. Yeah. You start with the process and the journey. Why should people love this enough to take the invitation to actually personally develop themselves this way? Why would they do that? I hope it's not, they have to crash and burn first before they take the first step. Although in context, that could be true for some people, but what's going to drive most people into this journey? Can you, can you hold that question? Cause it's a really important question <laughs> because I don't know why, but that question into that pulls me back to the manifesto. Um, Please. Um, I just don't, I guess I don't want to miss that. I, I, I was thinking about, um, I think one of the things that most of us share is this desire for great leaders. Mm. Um, I think most of us would desire to be one if we do, if we are called to lead, mm. probably. Um, at least the ones that I'd like to prop up would, would desire that. I think mean, it calls in a, a, a huge question of what does great leader mean? And that's a, you know, but man, if I think about how much complaining I hear about leaders, and if you did a ratio on the amount of complaining about leaders to how much we are invested in developing the next generation of them, I wonder what that ratio would look like. And how, what would be different if we made a, a, a systematic, and I don't mean systematic meaning, meaning robotic, but an intentional investment in developing a generation of leaders with, as you know, while leaders, we always say leaders, our mission is to develop a generation of leaders with, with, of courageous and sacrificial leaders. People who would bring enough efficacy, and I use that word fortitude, to actually step out and step out first, but also with a sacrificial character that would, that would give them, not that they would be sacrificing all the time, but they would be in a, a constant awareness of the costs, both for them and for others. And what, what would change in our world if we as a generation made an investment in developing those kinds of people? And what kinds of sacrifices would we have to make to do that? And, it, and the sacrifices are, I think, are different than what we often think of. I mean, one of the, I don't know if this was sacrificial, but one of the things that was difficult for, for me over the years is I've had a chance to invest in some amazing people, let's say in their 20s. Like I've just, you know, I used to be a college professor. And a lot of the programs I ran were around leader development, leader preparation. And 
one of the hardest things to do was to begin to prepare a person to lead who had not experienced it yet. And so the, the hard part was, um, was giving them an introduction to how tough it was going to be when they haven't experienced it yet. Because when you're pushing them in that preparation, you've got to push them to do that. But then they're like, why are you pushing so hard? And I'm sitting there thinking, because I see him down the road. I see you 10 years from now. And so, and so I don't know if it was sacrificial, but it was hard. It's hard work because sometimes they, they even can look at you. Those leaders can look at you like, I don't get the relevance of this. When you're preparing a person for a future they haven't seen yet. It's like, it's like if you were a football coach and you're trying to prepare a person for the first time you get hit. I don't know about you, but I, I played high school football a little bit. And the first time you get hit, I would have liked the preparation in practice, but I also would have hated it, <laughs> if that makes sense. I don't know why I just went into football, but. <laughs> well, I just fell 10 feet and had a concussion. It reminded me of my football years. <laughs> right. right. Which I was a little guy and I got beat up a lot. Right. Yeah. But, but I, I think it, I, I, I feel your heart. I always do when I listen to you. I feel your heart of people. I, I think of back to the Declaration of Independence yeah. for a second or Rosa Parks getting on a bus doing her part in a greater movement people who led with their lives yeah sacrificially yeah no longer here yeah like my mother-in-law who just died so rob i i feel it huh. there is a sense of urgency a lifetime is a precious thing mm -hmm. but it has a clock mm -hmm. there's a sense of urgency mm -hmm. and when you can see them contributing to this world to their communities to their families if you can give them some kind of navigation system for that, that's pretty incredible. So if you don't mind, mm -hmm. you use the term scaffolding a lot. Mm -hmm. And uh, just so the viewers know, I, I've read uh, Rob's books. I'm actually reading a manuscript right now yet to be published. And so I'm actually going to refer to stuff that I'm in the process of consuming myself and applying to my own life and as well as my clients in the great conversation. But you use the term scaffolding a lot. And I've been thinking of scaffolding, especially with earthquakes, earthquakes and tornadoes yeah. around the world, right? Yeah. The construction of a building requires scaffolding. And uh, you refer to it a lot in your practice of wholeness, mm -hmm. which is a big part of your manuscript, the practice of wholeness. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that. About the scaffolding? The scaffolding, the essential pieces and the why behind it. Yeah. I, um, I've i always loved that word. Um, probably for the last 15 years, I've grabbed onto it. And <clears throat> when I think about it, I think about scaffolding on a building. And I have a in my house, um, there's a leaky gutter. Mm. And uh, I can't get to it very well. It's I have a tall ladder, but it's a gutter that it sticks out over the, you know, so to put the ladder up there, it's a little sketchy. I'm not big on high heights sometimes but i but it's funny when i look at that leak um without some way to get to it i can't really understand what it's really about mm. and um and so i describe scaffolding as a way to understand things if you can get closer to it you can understand what's really going on mm. but when you look at it from a distance i look up and i go my windows are like like <laughs> 
<laughs> this is way too personal. But my windows on my house are also failing. And, uh, and if you looked at them from the ground, you might assume that there's water on them or they're smeared from the outside. But when you get up close, you realize that they've failed. And so there's, there's moisture inside between the panes. And so scaffolding gives us access to things without which we could not understand what was really happening and how to fix it. And so I spent my life, um, I had, we had a leader in India who asked, how long has it taken Dr. McKenna to build what's called the wild toolkit? That's that process of scaffolding. And a colleague of mine said is about 25 years because I spent my entire adult career in this process of building, whether it was in my mind in the beginning or the moments where we actually started to develop this process. And the other thing about the scaffolding, Ron, is that, you know, that we've talked about at length is that so much of the scaffolding for development occurs through questions. Like, even if I'm looking at that window from the ground, I'm like, why is that? Why does that look that way? You know what I mean? And so without even the introduction through a question, I don't, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not inspired <laughs> even to live into my aspiration for what might be different. Um, and so the scaffolding isn't just about providing answers, but it's about opening up like those questions that Sabbath was asking is like, if I hadn't, if she hadn't asked that question, I, I may not be thinking about that. And there's a, there are 10 ways, right? Well, not 10. There's actually two very powerful ways. I could tell you about the question she asked me that came up with our team last week that's affecting their work. And so without even the scaffolding of that simple question, now imagine if you had a scaffolding of it in, for what we know is going on inside of a person, psychologically speaking, that would actually help them to develop and move toward their aspiration toward wholeness. So that's why I use the scaffolding. So this is cool. And I, just for a moment, we're back to um, developing myself personally so I can be all I can be, right? Yeah. If, to use a catchphrase, yeah. all I can be. And then if I can get others to participate with me in a team, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. As a leader. Mm -hmm. And I can ask the right questions and they're on the same journey as me. It opens up a whole another level of awareness. You call it seeing in your manuscript. Yeah, yeah. A whole new level of seeing that I would never have had before yeah. as a leader of a team or a family. Is yeah. that correct? Yeah. yeah. So, so tell me about the toolkit. And we, we don't have all the time in the world on this LinkedIn live broadcast. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. I'm, I'm looking at this house you're building mm -hmm. for me as I go through this. And I've gone through this. I've gone through your two-day yeah. two event. I've got the toolkit. But you start with readiness. Why do you start with readiness in your explanation of this scaffolding, of this thing we're building? One of the most uh, powerful psychological variables in a person's life um, is the concept of efficacy. Mm. Um, and it's why I think Bandura's work on efficacy was, is such a powerful variable. You plug it in and it just changes things. And, um, and I think about developmental efficacy, my, my belief in and willingness to change. Um, and it's so from a, from a leader perspective, we don't talk about this very often. We talk about 
leadership competence. We talk about, we want the right leaders. We want the leader we like, you know, we want leaders with the convictions we agree with, but what to, in order to get those kinds of people, those leaders, do we really want someone who just brings conviction or do we want someone who brings a willingness to edit? And I personally want someone who brings a willingness to edit. And, and, I, and I think I'm not the only one because people use different words to talk about this. So when people are talking a lot, for example, today about compassionate leaders, if you, what you, what we really want is we want, if we have a compassionate leader, we have a leader who's not just, just doesn't care deeply about people, but a leader who's being, is willing to look at what people are experiencing and change. And this is where, this is another, this is a paradox. This is a tension in a person because we want a person who has a sense of themselves and, and uh, things about them that are not going to change and yet a willingness to edit and to change. And so one of the most powerful components that is so critical in our work in developing whole leaders has been that willingness to, to, to edit and to change. And, to, and that's, so that's another way of describing what we describe as readiness. Um, because readiness isn't just ready for the job, it's also ready to learn and to edit mm -hmm. and to shift based on the needs of the people. Um, but also at the same time, to have some things that don't that are that are stable. You know what I mean? That we want that fortitude, but we also want that editability. So how do we develop a person like that, Ron? So it's 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 actually a continuum. It's it's saying you're if if the leader presents themselves as already complete out, out of whatever fabrication they're working from, they're probably not ready. Probably not. Probably and, not ready. And you I think you've heard me say this, but we will rarely work with an organization where the most senior leader who's involved is not using the process themselves. Mm -hmm. And the standard in leader development is not that. It's senior leaders buy things for their people because they want their people to change. But I'm always like, what? If it's leader development, aren't you a leader too here? And it's not just modeling. Because what we found is that one of the most powerful factors is the change that you see. If that if that lead senior leader is willing to edit, it, it not only set does set an example for other people saying like, oh my gosh, if Ron Warman is, is still learning after all the experience he has, maybe I could too. Wow. Um, but I think it goes further than that because that's the modeling part. The further than that is, if Ron isn't willing to edit like that, moving that ship is going to be one of the most powerful variables in the entire organization becoming more agile. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's not just about provide the example because that's not the real motive. The real motive is Ron is learning and changing, you know, and so and and that sometimes is a hard sell when you look at a CEO in the eye and you say, like, if we're going to work with you, you're going to use the process and like it <laughs> or not like it, but you're going to. You're going to stretch and we love that. We are so wired for some reason to want things to be the same. We get mm -hmm. so wired into that. And I always said, I'll know when I'm old, when I start saying, well, it wasn't like that in the old days or. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Well, it's not true because the only constants change. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking for leaders, in fact, if you're looking for team members with leadership capacity, you're looking for someone who can adapt and change yeah. and they just need the tools to get there. Yeah. So I think that's cool. The mm -hmm. next one really intrigues me. 
because it just pulls at my heart. Mm. Purpose, and some people would call it calling. Mm. And that's, that's a big thing for some leaders, but most people think that's too big for them. Mm-hmm. Purpose and calling. Tell me about what pulls at your heart and what you found in your practice helping people realize every one of us has a purpose and calling that's individualized as well as part of a team. Mm-hmm. Wow. Oh, no, it's a big one. And we only well, have a few minutes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's so critical, I think, in your manuscript, your Wild Fridays, your event session. This this is the thing that changes everything, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's so many layers of why that is important. Mm. Um I mean, I could, I could start with the, we are just, few of us would deny just in our own experience of the world is that we are wired, we are, we are meaning-seeking beings. Um, now, I don't know that meaning-seeking is always the right way to do it. In fact, there was some research that was done that said if, if you actually search for meaning, you're less likely to find it. So that's a whole nother conversation. But, um, but the concept of call and purpose um, and the, my fundamental belief at this point in my life, after both research and just my own ideological orientation, is both that it is so critical that people discover what it is that they are, they have been designed for. Um, and that's what I would call the purpose piece, is that understanding the things um, that you are good at, the places where you're not very good at those things. Um but also the the reason that you that you have those things and how those things will be used, um, and that is emer- it's emerged in our research as one of the most powerful centering things is the extent to which someone understands their purpose for being in in a search in a situation in a leadership role in an organization, and so how how rarely we actually think specifically and deeply about why we are in that moment. Even us going on to this live broadcast, you know, we talked before with with team members and said, why are we here? Um, and we're leaning into the research. We know that if this whole thing breaks and the camera goes down and it's just our voices or whatever else, we know that that centering purpose will keep us grounded and anchored if that occurs. So understanding why you're there and your unique design and your personality that, um, that you bring to that, the, the traits you bring, but also your strengths and your areas for development and that that's critical. And that when you begin to share those things across a team, that then it scaffolds something at a whole other level, because now we're understanding at a team level, what it is that we're designed for together. And also where we have those weak points and where we mean to hire somebody different or whatever else. But the calling part, Ron, is where, because um, the call on our lives and, and, whether you are a theologian or a psychologist, the agreed sort of definition of calling is that it's a transcendent summons. A call is a transcendent summons, typically to serve others that oftentimes will include some sort of sacrifice. And that makes calling a little bit controversial, right? So some kind of sacrifice, like I'm going to have to sacrifice something to respond to this summons on my life. And and this is this, and, and call is such a, from that standpoint, is a, 
is a complex thing because now it means that to be called is not just to do what I want. It's not just to do what I want or feel like I'm good at, but it means that it may involve those things and my discovery of those things matters. But what that's about is my willingness to respond to that summons on my life. That this, this way that I am to serve other people in the world that I may not fully understand yet. And that that is a process that continues across our lifetime. So when I, so call and purpose are just such critical components of leader development as part of that scaffold. So just for a moment, let's pause. What we've discussed so far is, um, is wholeness um, juxtaposed with leadership and leadership development. We've talked about agility, the research behind uh, people who have agility and hope. Um, and we've also talked about some elements of the architecture of a whole leadership journey yeah um Sab sabbath and megan any, any questions that you want to throw at us right now we'll take a quick pause yeah um am i coming through okay can you hear me absolutely okay perfect there was a question um in the chat and it says what is the difference between whole leadership and simple humanity <laughs> that is lovely Let, can can you come over uh, for a drink at the Bellevue Brewing Company because we're going to go there next at four o'clock. That's that's that should be shared over a beer. But go yeah. ahead. Um, what, a, a what a great question! It's a great question. It is. Um, I don't. I, I want to apologize to this person if I missed the the spirit of the question. But this is the way I would respond to that: is I don't believe that we are all leaders all the time. And um, I define a leader as a person who goes first. And I go back to our chill child when we played follow the leader. And what does the leader do in the game? And the leader goes first. And it doesn't mean the leader goes first like with a huge ego and just does whatever they want. It means that the leader, to be a leader is to step out and go first. And that I define that because what we know from the research is that being a leader is qualitatively and quantitatively different from not. So I would say that in the, in the Venn diagram between human and leader, there's a lot of crossover. It's just, it's when you layer on the human part, by the way, we can all, we could break down for a long time what the word human means to be human. Um, the crossover is there. So what does it mean to take a human being and develop them in a whole way? And I, when I say whole also, there's so many different words you could use to describe that. You could use the word real. Like I always say, like, you want to get at whole leader development, just talk to another human being, <laughs> ask them a story about just, that's why that deck of wild cards. And you will see, we just immediately know that. Like I look at Ron Warman and I go, my friend, Ron, I, this, this is so bad, Ron, when I look in your eyes and I'm like, look at you, I, I see these, because this is probably the psychologist in me, all these variables are already functioning in you spiritually, psychologically, practically. You know what I mean? We just know that there's enough that your competence, your call and purpose, your desire for, for the right kinds of social interactions that you need or support that you need, the experiences that have shaped you, your personality, it's all going on, but it looks different for Ron than it looks different for me. And so I guess that crossover is just there. I, we're talking about human beings who are in those leadership roles. And the whole part is, 
probably to the person's question, I almost could replace whole with human. Well, we're, you know where I went? And again, uh, there's no there's no coincidences in life. There was a third person who was supposed to be here today, and he's very ill right now. I hope he's listening. Tim Wenzel, who um, years ago was in the military and then went to Facebook, and and now he's in the corporate world, and he was faced with people attacking each other. Mm-hmm. Right. People not understanding each other's point of views, the politics of the moment. Right. And it it felt to him like the Hunger Games, if you've all seen that movie. Yeah. And he said, what if we had something different called the Kindness Games? Mm -hmm. And then you have Burke Brownfield, who is a security executive uh, who started teaching empathy to his guards, his security guards, empathy. Right. So there, what I'm getting at is what's cool. There's a movement, a pent up need Mm -hmm. for this person who asked the question to blend, to embrace our humanity in the context of whole leadership. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's exactly right. Yeah. That's why I love the question. You got another one, one more Sabbath and we'll uh, head toward the finish line here. Um, Did you try again? Oh, look, at Siri's listening to you. That, that's my watch, which I <laughs> did not turn off. Go ahead. Sorry. She thought that you asked her, Sabbath. You did. Yes. Did. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, there, there's just some real, this chat is, is lit up with some really rich things. So I hope that um, you guys get a chance to go back and look through the chat. There isn't too many more questions, just, just some things in the chat that, that, the, yeah. So they're saying, you know, people search out leadership and leaders and sometimes others are thrust into it and embrace it. Yeah, that's right. Well, in this, in these various steps, in the manuscript called the practice of wholeness. And I just love that. I hope you keep mm-hmm. it in the man in the published book mm-hmm. one day, but the manuscript really goes over, you know, readiness, purpose, uh, being present under pressure, learning from experience, skills and competence, motivation, uh, invested in others, strategically surrounded yeah. by mentors, yeah. And people who can encourage you on the journey because it's a dangerous journey. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Because it really tests who you think you are. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I love. I think you've always embraced this idea. There's someone out there who doesn't think it's possible to be a great leader. Mm-hmm. That's for somebody else. Yeah. And I love <laughs> back to must've been the book I just read 1776. no, you can do this, people. Yeah. You can own your destiny. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a, another leader. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's very powerful. So mm-hmm. tell me if you can, mm-hmm. in your experience, if I walk through these steps, the, what I call the discipline of leadership, right? Marcus Aurelius had his journal and he had his teachers, but we're in the modern day era now and the wild toolkit seems to be a methodology, if you will, to explore my inner leadership and my leadership in context of others. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And tell me what that looks like. Or is it like every other toolkit where people may start working on it and then they lapse and you know, what, 
do they they catch fire? T tell me about your experience with people and the toolkit. Mm -hmm. Well, and 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 Ron, thank you for reading by the way the manuscript because that um, that next book is taking me five years to get out, and that's why it's um, it feels like a manifesto. And mm -hmm. um, as you know, the the middle chunk of it, when you get into what it means to be human. Um, I, I just, you can't ignore this reality that people experience and leaders experience their world and their lives as competing tensions, mm -hmm. um, as paradoxes, as I describe it. It's like, that's just paradoxes. Um, it's just the best word that I have mm -hmm. for, for what I've seen in both my own practice and the research we've done is that people experience their lives as paradoxes, even more so than they experience them as it's kind of linear pathways. It's like, it's not the three steps leading, but it's like, how do I live into this tension that I feel between my character and my competence? How do I live into this tension I feel between my aspiration toward wholeness and my brokenness? Because I think that is, that is a wild concept that is a little bit different than what other people have experienced is like, yeah, we got to pay attention to our brokenness. And I just don't mean the way people have hurt me. I mean, the way that I've hurt other people. Mm. And th that's the whole story. And we, we so often ignore that in a leader context. And it's like, I'm not saying we all need to go into therapy together, but at the same time, <laughs> if we ignore it, where does that leave us? You know, with things that we, from our, that we don't fully understand. And so, um, and I could just go out, you know, that I, that when I wrote this book, I wrote like, I think there's 22 paradoxes that I outlined it, hoping that people would say like, yeah, that's my life. Because someone who doesn't experience, to be quite frank, is like someone who doesn't experience these tensions in their leadership may not be at that moment yet. You know, where they don't see the, the it's like the first time, I remember uh, we did a study on engineers and this engineer said, we were studying engineers when they were transitioning to leadership. And we asked them, one of the, the protocol, the questions in the protocol was, uh, so what did you learn in that experience? And uh, this engineer said, I learned that people matter and it wasn't a joke. It was, you know what it, it was. If you put yourself in this particular engineering mind, it was like, he was like, Oh, and so suddenly like that concept of you do you live your truth. That's a very popular thing we hear today. Live your truth. You be you. When you get into a leadership role, it's just not enough anymore. Because now I'm not only responsible for being myself, but I'm responsible for being myself within the context of other relationships. And until, you know, we live our lives in a, what was it, Thomas Merton says, in a cloister, like it's like we will, we will live not on an island, but we will live together and we will work together and we will be responsible for not only understanding ourselves and our own convictions, but understanding those convictions of others. And so to your point, it's like what we, what I've spent my, career building was a fundamental scaffolding that would open up the developmental pathways. So it's like, we do know from some pretty great research for the last four or five decades, we know that there are certain psychological lanes that we all need to work that are very common to us thinking about. Like we, we need Ron and Rob before we're on a team together need to understand our competencies and our skills and the knowledge we've gained. And we need to know where our blind spots are, right? Or the things that we're not so good at or that we screw up. And we need to understand those things together. We know that's true. But the way that those work themselves out looks differently. So 
what I, what I just, I, I've never been the person that wanted to inspire people just because we could have talked today just about, here's the manifesto, Ron and Rob, you know, talking about we need whole leaders in our world. I'm inspired by that. But I also, what I'm most inspired by is to provide a pathway for people and a scaffolding, if you will, and a set of, a, 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 a set of developmental questions and moments and assessments where I'm not trying to put you in a box and say, this is whether Ron's a good or a bad leader, but to invite you into those questions that you're probably already asking over a cup of coffee or a beer somewhere with a little bit of structure. Because without the structure, I'm kind of like just asking a bunch of squishy, squishy questions that don't really lead me toward an intentional path toward wholeness, but they also, but not so overstructured that it puts me in a box. You know what I'm saying? That's <laughs> so funny because I'm a developmental geek, okay? So if you invite me into something, if you give me your toolkit and I start working the toolkit, I want to see progress, right? My my good friend Nathan in the security industry, you know, he's, he's from the Deming School. He's performance-oriented, uh-huh. the metrics, everything, right? I'm going to want to see the metrics on myself. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, if I introduce the toolkit, to my teams, I want to see the metrics yeah. in that as well, right? Yeah. And 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 so, I must admit, I needed more than just the toolkit. I needed community; those who were on the journey with me. Yeah. Right. So why don't we just spend a moment and tell me? I I'm, I'm I haven't been exposed to the toolkit yet. Yeah. I I, I ended up on LinkedIn because Warman invited me, and I have yeah. no idea what this is all yeah. about. Tell me how I get started if any of this interests me at all. Okay, so, um, and especially, I would say, we talked about this, I love reluctant leaders. Um, so if you're someone who is, you're like, I think I'm being called to lead, and I don't care whether it's in the family, yeah. parent or present, right. like it's like, um, that reluctance I think is not a curse, it's not a bad thing, it's actually, an indicator that you understand what the stakes are. There was right. actually an interesting article just I think just recently published about this. And so um, it was Wall Street Journal or HBR that came out. And so reluctance is, I actually describe reluctance as a competence. And so if you're that person or if you're someone who's like in that next developmental moment, you're in a transition, one thing is to, uh, we do the thing every, this is, Ron and I have been a part of this for a couple of years now, but this the wild conversation that happens every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific time. There's no cost. Um, it's become an incredible community. And uh, Tim and I have developed a deep friendship through that. Tim Wenzel, I wish he could have been here too. But it's like, uh, please come to that. And I know that they'll, um, Sabbath or Megan will put that into the comments. Um, if you're a person who's looking for a whole leader development system and scaffolding for your organization, it's something that's not a one-off weekend event, which is not bad, but you want more than that. You want a system. You have a system for everything in your organization, but you don't have a system for development development, um, either go to wildleaders.org um, and you'll have all the information there to, to know how to get started or to send an email directly to contact at wildleaders.org, contact at wildleaders.org and just say in the subject line, go wild. And, uh, and maybe a little note about what you're looking for um, that would be, would be helpful there. And if you're looking for something a little bit deeper, we, one of the best things we do is a two day It's called the Wild Experience Intensive, where we walk a group of leaders and uh, not all of them in leadership roles currently necessarily, but through the entire structure of the 10 developmental assessments in community together. And it is one of the most 
profound experiences for so many people who have gotten connected into wild net you get certified as a facilitator to use this thing for yourself or for others and coaching and so those are just three pathways yeah if you've been through that intensive uh go ahead and put it on the linkedin comments that you went through it and and underline the fact that what rob is saying had an impact on you that that would be helpful for others to see that actual people have been through this and have experienced this. Um, so Rob, closing on a, a personal note, hmm. you know, I, I love the manifesto. I know it's audacious, right? Yeah. I know it's audacious. Yeah. I know when I opened up, I was using declaration of independence and Martin Luther <laughs> King and John yeah. F. Kennedy, yeah. but I reached down and, you know, into Rosa Parks too. And my mother-in-law, there are people out there who are influencing the world in huge ways, good and bad. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And I, I gotta admit, you know, I am not, I am not a good organizational, uh, employee, mm. you know, you, Oh, here, here comes a, <laughs> another Myers-Briggs test. Here comes another, you know, big deal. We're going to mm -hmm. go through two days, three days, and then it's over and I'm back to work and I'm doing whatever I need to do to keep my job. Mm -hmm. Right. So I was that guy. Mm -hmm. And then I realized one day that, wait, maybe the organization itself isn't responsible for my meaning in life. Yeah. Maybe it's me. And I started realizing I had to impact whatever circumstances I was in. Can you speak to that just for a moment as we end here? Yeah. Because um, maybe your organization isn't supporting whole leadership development. Maybe yeah. they're good with a party or two. Yeah. <laughs> When I, it was funny, it's funny, Ron, when I first um, developed the first version of the toolkit, as it's known today, um, I saw the power of the kinds of questions that, that it was asking me. Mm -hmm. And by the way, those questions didn't come out of the air. It came out of what we know from research were important developmental topics that a person should move toward. Yes. And I developed it and I had this it was a little naivete, I think at the time I saw the power, but I was like, this is so stupid not to use it. Like it's going to be, it is going to go because it's just bad. It had such a profound effect on my level of intentionality that even affected my marriage. There's things, you know, in terms of the kinds of questions that, that, um, that I was asked that affected the way that I approached conversations with my wife, the kinds of decisions we made financially. There are all kinds of things that were affected by that. Um, but what I would say, um, is that, yeah, it's it's one thing to say we want our employees to to own their own development. But in order for that to occur, first of all, uh, an individual can just pick it up. Or if the organization provides it, the organization puts development in your hands and, and gives you access to these questions. Oh, brilliant. Here's what's different, though, is that in most cases, organizations, when they put that in your hand, this is one of the reasons people feel like they still don't own it the organization can look at the data. Do you know what I'm saying? So that's a very common practice where the manager is like expects to see your... No, this you know, is a private experience. And it's like, this is something where organizations right. will ask us, they'll say, so we can use this for succession planning, for example. And we'll say, of course you can. And they'll say, so we'll be able to see the data of each individual person or leader in the organization, right? To look at it, no. Because everybody knows this. It doesn't take science to understand that if, if I work for Ron and I'm answering questions that have some level of weight to them, it, meaning they matter, right? 
I'm going to, even if I know you and respect you as more than I've respected any other manager I've ever worked for, in my best world, I'm going to be communicating things into those questions as I respond to them that's not quite ready to get out of the oven yet. And so putting development in people's hands means we had to make business-related decisions related to the use of the tools that the person is the one who has access to their responses and their feedback reports. However... Have you ever had an employee that managed up and ended up without you knowing it, mentoring you? Can you imagine it? Oh, we talk can about you, it all the time. Can you imagine so... an employee who's gone through the intensive, had the toolkit, had some mentoring, and they start witnessing, if you will, to their prevailing culture and their leaders. This is a powerful weapon. <laughs> and I call it a weapon. I actually do. This is a call to arms. Remember the manifesto, the call mm -hmm. to arms for your own personal journey mm -hmm. and your own personal meaning. Mm -hmm. Rob, any last words? Because I think we're ready yeah. to end this hour long session on LinkedIn. <laughs> first time live. Yeah. First time. It's um, I think one thing is I just, um, and we talked about this before is it my hope for this conversation is that if you are someone who feels a sense of like not having a place where wholeness, that your aspiration to wholeness could even sound like this, that that, that one person who might listen in, who either is watching live right now or to hear this recording would say like, I didn't even know this conversation was possible. <laughs> that, that, that in itself is, I think it's an important realization of your aspiration and that your aspiration for wholeness in the midst of your brokenness is not a test you failed because so often I talk about this in the, in the book that, um, that in order for us to understand our aspiration for wholeness, it causes us to have to look at our brokenness. Like you can't see, or your fragmentation, you can't yeah. see that without seeing, okay, here's where it's not. And so I just hope that folks would feel a sense of, Oh, there is a conversation happening that I could be a part of that. Maybe there's a link in here. We've created this amazing community of people that I have so many new friends since the pandemic, <laughs> you know what I mean? That's like right. you and I met before that, and, and certainly, but right. there's so many people we know together now. So I, I'm going to read an excerpt from the manuscript and then we'll end this wonderful, wonderful conversation I've had with Rob. The problem is that as leaders, we navigate some of the most important decisions of our lives without connecting the different parts of our whole story to the choices we're making today. Hey parent, hey friend, hey worker, hey leader, does that resonate with you? This has been a great wild conversation. Thank you, Rob.